Hello and welcome. You've tuned in to the School of Ministry podcast. Paul is your Bible teacher today. If you have questions you would like addressed, let us know. Maybe you have a need in your life and want to know how the Bible gives answers that apply to us today. Feel free to contact us. Now enjoy the lesson. We're going to take quite a journey through Scripture this morning. I want to talk about who is really in control. This morning, I, we're going to look at some things that I believe our Lord, through the Holy Spirit, inspired the Apostle John because John loved the Lord. John loved the Lord so much, and you know, he felt the love of God. He felt the love of Jesus. And so every time you see John, instead of referring to himself, he said, that disciple whom Jesus loved. You know, you could put your name there. He loved you that much. That's what the message is about today. That he loved you that much. That you could say, I'm that disciple whom Jesus loved. John felt that love, it was extended to him. And this really begins, as we're looking at John chapter 13, I want to begin in verse 1 through verse 3. Then we're going to jump over to chapter 17, chapter 18, chapter 19. But I want to encourage you to read it all because we don't have time to go through and read all of those. So we're going to look at some highlights. We're going to look at certain parts. But I want to encourage you because I want you to see that they are in context. I want to make sure that the Word of God is being brought forth truthfully and rightfully. It says in verse 1 of chapter 13, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come and that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going to God. We're going to stop right there. And of course, he rises and this is where he begins to wash the disciples' feet. We see that there is a spiritual battle that's going on. We see it in our world. Being in prison, I saw this spiritual warfare that went on so clearly day by day because you had some that were just given over to, to Satan and all, all of Satan's ways. And then you had those men that had given their life to Christ and you could see Christ in them and you could see the difference. Today, we have so many drugs that are available that are mind-altering, that are changing the way people think that's changing and they're given over into witchcraft. And, and that's the idea of the word is that it's a mind altering experience, whether that comes from alcohol or drugs. And some are looking at for that through sex and some are looking at it from their pride and getting money and all of these things. Whatever sin it is that ensnares you, that holds you, that keeps you. It's a spiritual battle that's taking place. And that's what I want us to see. I want us to see who is in control, who is really in charge. And so we're going to see something of the character and the very nature of Jesus right here in this passage. Because it tells us, before the feast of the Passover was over, Jesus knew that his hour 
had come. So I ask the question, who's in control? Who's in control of your life? Let's just jump over, because I wanted that to be kind of our setting as we go to John chapter 17. Now in John chapter 17, I'm going to begin to read the first five verses. In John chapter 17, we have Christ in the role of the high priest. And I think we're aware of how in the Old Testament, the high priest was someone who was set aside that went in once a year under the Holy of Holies. And that sacrifice was made. I've got to tell you something that happened this morning. I'm studying, I'm up praying, and I could see through the door, because there's a big window, our neighbors. They've got a bunch of sheep. You know, one of those sheep had a little lamb this morning. And I'm sitting there watching. Yes, here's, here's this lamb. And it's getting to walk, and it's struggling along. And it made me think of our Savior, who came as a lamb, the lamb of God. The lamb who was headed for the slaughter, who had come into this world to die. He was a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. But in John chapter 17, he's not the lamb, he's the high priest. We're going to see that in chapter 18, he is the sacrifice. But here he is this high priest, and this really is the Lord's prayer. Sometimes people talk about in Matthew, they say, you know, our Father which art in heaven, then that's the Lord's prayer. No, this is the Lord's prayer, because he prays first for himself. Look what it says in verse 1 of John 17. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh and he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given to me. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Here's the question, who's in control? Jesus, in the high priestly role, he's praying for himself in his humanity. And in this chapter, Jesus doesn't only pray for himself in his humanity because he has a, a goal. He is headed for something. He is going somewhere. He knows he's going to the cross, and he knows he's got to glorify the Father. I've finished the work which you have given me, he says in verse 4. I've finished the job. I've done all of the things that needed to, that Scripture would be fulfilled. And then he begins to pray for his disciples from verses 6 through 19. Let's just look at verse 11 and 13 there. But I want you and I encourage you to go back and read these passages. Because now in verse 11, he says, Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. And then jump down to verse 13. But now I have come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. You see, he has come and he was praying for his disciples that they would have joy. 
that they're in the world. And you know what? We are in this world and we're bogged down. We see everything that's happening and all the chaos of the world. But let me tell you that there can be a joy that is greater than anyone can understand. There is a joy here that passes all human understanding. It is the joy of Jesus Christ. It is the joy that comes by knowing him. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one, verse 15 says. So now he is praying for those early disciples, but you know what? Not only for them, he prays for all. He prays for us in verses 20 through 26, but let me just read verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word. All of those who would believe through his word. So we're seeing he has prayed for you because we believe through the word. We believed and we know that through his word that we have come to Christ. We know him. We know what he's done. There's no doubt that Jesus knew exactly what was ahead. He had prepared himself to accomplish the task. He was going to the cross. This is the beginning of the culmination of his entire ministry. Jesus is the high priest and he's serving at that. He's taking care of that. Christ as our high priest, praying for you, caring for you. He's looking down the annals of time. And he saw you. He saw me. He knew that we had a need of a Savior. But he's taken the place of the high priest. And you know, he will very soon after this. He will actually enter into heaven's temple. He will apply the blood, his own blood, on the mercy seat. But now we jump over into chapter 18. And in chapter 18, there is a great shift because now he has moved from being the high priest to being the sacrifice, the Lamb of God. Now he's moving in this place. And unlike the animal sacrifices of the Old Testament, Jesus offered himself willingly, knowing what was happening. And throughout, I want you to see something that he is in control. That's why I wanted to start in John chapter 13, because it says he knew all things. The Father had given him all knowledge. He knew what was happening. How many times had he told the disciples what was coming, what was going to take place? And that's why now he is beginning and he is showing that I'm in control. Chapter 18, verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over to the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place. For Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came with their lanterns, torches, and weapons. We're going to stop right there. Jesus knew what was happening. In John chapter 13, it says Satan had already filled Judas's heart. There's a spiritual battle going on here. There's something that's taking place that we don't see. There's something that's happening in our world that sometimes we don't see. And it's who's going to be in control. You know what? Armies come in and they take over regions. They take over areas and they take control. They say, we've got this now. You know what happens when our government wants to take control? They move in because... They don't want people to hurt one another. So there are laws and our government is established so that people don't take advantage and don't hurt one another. Police learn control tactics from de-escalation tactics to control holds. Parents learn how to control their children 
How about owners that control their pets, control their animals, train their animals? Who's in control in these passages? That's what I want us to see. Who's really in control here? For Jesus is in his supreme authority, I would say is in complete control. Now you might wonder, how is it he's in control when look at what's happening for now, in verse 3, it says, Judas having received a detachment of troops. And that word is, and maybe your translation says cohort. That is a whole detachment of Roman soldiers. 600 soldiers. That's what that word means. Now imagine, here's Jesus and the other 11 disciples. Got 12 men. Here's 600 soldiers. And, not just that, officers from the chief priests and Pharisees came. They all have lanterns, torches, and weapons. You got 12 over here. You got 650 over on this side. Who's in control? Well, you'd say, well, they're obviously in control. But look what Jesus says in verse 4. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him. Jesus, knowing all things that are going to come. Who's in control? He went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said to them, I am he. That is the words that God spoke to Moses on the burning bush. That's the same words that Jesus said is recorded in the Gospel of John. I am he, and look at what happens. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. That's in the other group. Now when he had said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Who's in control? 650. Jesus. Who's in control? They all fall down at his word. He just spoke and they all fell down. Who's in control? Who is it? They fell back. Then he asked them again. They have all fallen down. Whom are you seeking? This doesn't sound like somebody who's about to be arrested. And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. He answered, I told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. Now that's a command. You got 650. They think they're in charge. You got Jesus and he's saying, let these other 11 go. Who's in charge? Who's in control? Jesus is absolutely, he said, no, these guys are going. I'll go with you. You see exactly who Jesus is. His life wasn't taken. He yielded. He gave it of his own. Let these go their way, verse 8 said, that the saying might be fulfilled of which he spoke. Now, he said this back in chapter 17 and verse 12. He said that, Father, that none of mine would be lost. So he's fulfilling the scripture. I want you to see that that's what it, it's speaking of, that every word of God is fulfilled. Of these whom you gave me, I have lost none. You see, it comes back to the very veracity of God. It comes back to the very character of God. When God speaks, he speaks truth. When God speaks, it is right. When God speaks, and that's why we know that the scripture and all of these things were done so that it was fulfilled that Jesus would be recognized as the Lord and Savior. He is the high priest, and now he's the sacrifice. Oh, we see he's the supreme authority here. And then as we look, we see Jesus giving the command. 
Remember his words, no man takes my life, I lay it down freely. He spoke the commands because his word would be fulfilled. He's fulfilling Old Testament prophecies. In Psalm 41, 9, he says, Even my own familiar friend in whom I've trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel up against me. Speaking of Judas Iscariot. Psalm 109, verse 8 says, Let his days be few, and let another take his office. You see, without the resurrection, God, who is the ultimate author of all of these prophecies, God, who is the ultimate author of all of his word, would have been found a liar. He would have been untrustworthy. The very nature and character of God is at test here. And then verses 10 and 11. Then Simon Peter, Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. And Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? Who's in control? Who's in charge? Now, Peter tries to take charge, right? Picture 650. Got Peter with a sword. You got to give it to Peter. I'm, I'm ready, Lord. Me and Jesus, we're going to take you on. Jesus didn't need Peter. Jesus didn't need Peter because he's in charge. He's in control. He's got it all in hand. And what does he say? Put your sword away. I've got a job to do. Are you going to take away the cup which my father has given me? Jesus was set on being obedient. He was set on following after and, and fulfilling the work of God. Now, there's a spiritual battle that's going on here. Satan has filled Judas. We know about some of the others. We know how they were moved by their hatred toward Jesus, and they wanted to take him. We're going to talk about that, because that's where Jesus is certainly in control. And as we see him in the trials that come, beginning in verse 12, then the detachment of troops of the captains and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. And they led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Well, let me read 14. Now it was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. Now, Annas is an interesting character. Remember, in the Old Testament, the high priest was selected, and they were to serve until age 55. But now, to appease the Romans, under their laws, thou the Jews had given up and they were assigned to be the high priest year by year. Now, Annas is the high priest, but he can't be high priest year after year. So what does he do? If I can't be high priest, let me get my son to do it. And then when he can't do it, we'll elect my other son. When he can't do it, now I got my son-in-law. I'm going to bring him in. So they're appeasing all of the people. And what happens? Jesus, remember, had gone into the temple Remember how Jesus had gone in twice. He goes in and he cleanses the temple. Why were these people selling? Why were these people in the temple making money? Because of Annas. Annas had set up all of the booths. And you paid Annas to have the best place. You paid him to have the best place on the temple so that, you know, maybe you were by the entrance and, and people would come to you first to buy the sacrifice or exchange their money or whatever it might be. That wasn't according to scripture. That's not right. Do you think Annas, this high priest, knows scripture? Oh, absolutely. He knows the Old Testament. He knows what he should have been doing. But you know what? And then 
There's a little bit of payback. How much did you make? How much did you make? Jesus is getting at their purse strings. Jesus is bringing out exactly how they were just going after money, how they were just going after to get what they could get. They weren't doing it for the Lord. They weren't doing it for the God of Israel. They were not doing it as they should. But Jesus was exposing their sin. They hated him for that. They hated him because... Their sin was exposed, not once, but twice. The crowds were listening to Jesus. And what did they say of him? He doesn't teach like others. He has authority. He teaches as one having authority. He knew the word. He knew the truth. He is God in the flesh. And he's in control. He is absolutely in charge. And look at verses down to 15 and 16. Then Simon Peter follows, followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. I love John, because that's John. <laughs> you say that. Another disciple. Yeah, someone else was there. You see his humility. You see something about his life. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. John doesn't say, well, my dad is Zebedee. My dad's got this big fishing business, got multiple boats. He's friend of the high priest. I can go in there. Does John say any of that? No, there's nothing about him. It's all about Jesus. It's all about what Jesus could do. But Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. It's all about who's in charge. And so he brings them in. He allows them. He was known to Annas, to his family. So John is bringing this. And you know why he's doing this? Because Jesus had already told Peter, you'll deny me three times and the cock will crow. You'll hear that rooster crow, that God's word is going to be fulfilled. He had the right people in the right place, that God's word is just being fulfilled exactly as it should, that God's word is just coming down exactly as it ought to. Who's in charge? Who's in control here? Even in this, Jesus is in complete control. And now we find that he comes before in verse 19, Let's jump down to about verse 19 through 24. Then the high priest asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always met. And in secret, I've said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. And when he had said these things, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand saying, do you answer the high priest like that? So now Annas isn't the high priest, Caiaphas is. He used to be, and he should have been, but no. And he strikes him. He slaps. When Jesus answered, if I had spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you strike me? Who's in charge here? Who's in control? Who's got this? Why are you striking me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So now we're going to try him some more. We're going to find something. Who is truly in charge here? They hated Jesus. They hated his deeds. They hated all that he could do. So now they're going to send him to Pilate. They're going to send him up there to see exactly what, what can Pilate do. Verse 28, then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium. And it was early morning, but they themselves did not go into the praetorium lest they should be defiled. 
but that they might eat the Passover. So they're worried about looking good on the outside. They don't want to go in where the Gentiles were, something that might defile them. When Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. Then Pilate said to them, You take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, It's not lawful for us to put anyone to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. Who's in charge here? Who's in charge? That the sayings of Jesus, and he's signifying what death. Do you see who's in charge? Do you see in all of this? Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, are you speaking for yourself about this or did others tell you concerning me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priest have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Who's in control? Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I came into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. I was thinking of that little lamb. Helpless little lamb. Jesus is the lamb, but he's in charge. He is all God and all man who died for you, who died for me. Pilate, of course, is a man of fear. Do you remember? I preached a whole series on fear. We looked at Pilate. We saw how Pilate was afraid of Caesar. He's afraid of the Jews. He's afraid they're going to revolt. He's afraid of all that's going to happen if he doesn't just buckle down. He doesn't want a bad report to go back to Caesar. What Caesar might take him out of the position. He's a man moved by fear, but he could find no fault in Jesus. And so we find in this that no one could take it. So Pilate said to him, what is truth? That was verse 38. Mm -hmm. And he's trying to then turn him over, find some way to get him out. Chapter 19, verse 1. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe, and they said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him with their hands. Then Pilate went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Nothing. He thought maybe by belittling him. Have you ever had someone spit on you? Someone slap you? That was nothing to what compared to what Jesus is. That was nothing what Jesus bore. And all the cruelty of the cross. Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Of course, the chief priests are crying out, Crucify him, crucify him. The Jews answered in verse 7, because Pilate says at the end of verse 6, that I find no fault in him. He says it again. The Jews answered him, We have a law. According to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. They knew who he was. They knew exactly who he was. They knew what he was there for. Pilate was trying to get him released. Pilate's trying to let him go. Look down to verse 10. Then Pilate said to him, Jesus, are you not speaking to me? 
In other words, you're not defending yourself. Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Who's really in control? Is Pilate in control? Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. He wants to let him go, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not a Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. Ah, it's set. Who's in control? Jesus before Pilate? Pilate thinks he's in control. No, not at all. Trying to release him down to about verse 17, if you will. And he, bearing his cross, went out to the place, the place called the place of the skull, which is in Hebrew, Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore, the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the King of the Jews. But he said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Who's in charge? Who's in control? Jesus is in complete control. He bore his own cross. He carried his own cross. It's interesting because other gospel accounts talk about Simon of Cyrene. You know, it also names Simon's two sons, Alexander and Rufus. When you read over in Romans chapter 16, Paul says, greet Rufus, who's in the church at Rome. <laughs> greet Rufus. Do you think that crucifixion did not impact? All of those? Verse 24, the soldiers began to divide his garments. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, they divided my garments among them, for my clothing they cast lots. You see, the very truth of God, the very veracity, the very truthfulness and trustworthiness of God was in the prophetic scriptures. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. Who's in control? Not the soldiers. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Jesus sees John. And of course, we know in all of that, that the scripture would be fulfilled. And he gives his mother. The scripture was spoken of that they would cast lots. That's why they did all of this. Let's jump down to about verse 30. And it says... So when Jesus had received the sour wine, because he had said, I'm thirsty, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Who's in control? He gave his own life. He laid it down. No one took it from him. But now all of this was done just as it was promised, just as it was testified. Let's jump down to about verse 35 through 37. And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true. Now this is John saying, I saw this. I was right there. Jesus said to me, take care of my mother. His testimony is true. He knows that he's telling the truth so that you may believe. For these things were done that the scriptures should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. 
Now, Psalm 22 speaks of that, the piercing. That was written 1,200 years before crucifixion was even done. There was no torture that was like the crucifixion where they would pierce the body. Who's in charge? Who's in control when a scripture written 1,200 years before would say exactly what was going to come to pass? Oh, they looked on him whom they have pierced. Crucifixion shows that form of torture unlike any other. I want to just close out with Revelation chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. It says, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they whom they pierced. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. If we jump down to about verse 17 of Revelation 1, it says, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And behold, let me just add, and now I have the keys of hell and of death. Something has happened. He's in control. Something happened while he went into that grave. He went into the grave. Remember that the new Jerusalem's got 12 gates with the names of the apostles on those, those tribes. Hell also has gates. We remember the gates of hell will not prevail against the Lord's. Hell's got gates. Jesus enters into hell. He enters in and he takes captivity captive, takes those out. But he preaches to those that were there. Now, there's a spiritual battle that's been going on in this crucifixion. All the way through, we've seen it. And I wonder if those demons didn't just think, we've got him, we killed him, we did it. And he marches into hell right through those gates, and he takes the keys of hell and of death. Satan had power of death before. Satan had that, now he's powerless. You know, back in the 30s, my dad worked for the movie studios. You remember seeing on one of those, there's a big lion, I think it's MGM. In the 30s, you know, they pulled the teeth of that lion. It was a toothless lion. My dad felt so bad because this great lion that would roar had no teeth. Let me tell you, Satan is that lion with no teeth. <laughs> Satan is that lion that's got no teeth because Christ has entered into hell and he's got the keys of hell and of death. There is no death. There's nothing that he can do to get you if you've come to Christ. The lamb, the lamb. You've got the lion on one side, but no teeth. He can't do anything. But you've got the lamb of God who was our high priest who's been in control all this way, and he's coming again. I'm going to ask if you'll stand and just ask one last question. Who's in control of your life? Who isn't in control of your life? Who is leading and guiding you? Who is it that's moving in your life and in your heart? Who's in control? It's easy to see how Jesus, through the pages of the inspired word, he was in charge. Every word was verified. It was true. It's lasting. You can count on it. You can count on him coming again. And he's still in control. Because I read at the Battle of Armageddon, he comes up, all of the armies of the world, and Jesus but speaks. 
they all fall down. He's coming again. Who's in control of your life? Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the message. We trust you've been encouraged, challenged, or generally built up spiritually. If this lesson has sparked questions or perhaps you have questions of a different topic, let us know. Our information is given on the website or you can reach us at sclofministry at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Tombstone said he is risen just as he said.